This month's label sponsor is Orange Milk Records. Based out of Ohio, Orange Milk releases forward-thinking electronic music from all over the world with distinctive visual flair and design. Patreon subscribers get a mix of Orange Milk artists put together by label co-owner Seth Graham, whose record Gasp was one of my favorite records of 2018. From Midwife, David Nance, Seth Graham, Kiaville, Mike from Uniform, Lee Noble, Braden J. Project Reverent and Ono and what else? Um, so I just started uh, another Power Electronics project um, called Spring Break as of last week. Okay. <laughs> um, and I've got like I think three tapes that are supposed to come out. Two of them are coming out in March. Um, and one of them, I mean, two of them have not been, one of them has been recorded already one of them is in the process of being recorded and one was something I just got asked to do today um, by label breathing problem productions um, so I'll do one for that and then I also do like uh, is that related to that band breathing problem yeah Rusty okay. and his partner Amelia run it cool. um, and they do some like really amazing industrial based releases like uh, straight panic is on there it's like a very queer centric electronics project and Thomas like myself Thomas is straight panic um, we both came from like super conservative religious backgrounds same oh you did cheers yeah oh wow <laughs> yeah what was your what was uh, Mormon I grew up Mormon wow yeah oh wow so what, what was and I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll get into this but what, what was yours uh, dad Catholic mom mm-hmm. uh, evangelical okay um, so my dad is Irish and Mexican, so that's where the Reyes oh, okay. comes yeah, from. Yeah. Like, my grandpa's Tex-Mex, mm. and so actually on this tour, I'm gonna be staying with him for like four days. Cool. He's 91, oh, so dang. Like, you know I get to when I go on like the East Coast tour, I get to like hang out with him and stuff. Um, but so my my 
my dad's dad was Mexican Catholic and my dad's mom is Irish Catholic so it's like both perfect worlds storm. yeah yeah and you know speaking of perfect storm you get like the theatricality and like sacraments of Catholicism mm-hmm. and then like you get the dogma of even evangelism mm-hmm. and you know being expected to kind of like preach as well what what kind of what strain of evangelicalism well my mom is uh now she's like presbyterian mm-hmm. but um you know growing up she always said everything that's written in the bible you know there are a few translations and that that are 100 percent accurate what did you guys use NIV. NIV, okay. Yeah, we were a straight King James. Oh, yeah, yeah. we didn't use King James. Yeah. Um, we had the King James Bible, mm-hmm. but um, we, my mom always used like the NIV study Bible at home, which had like a bunch of really cool foot, footnotes in it. I still like have a NIV study Bible. Mm-hmm. And then I got like this new um, Bible, it's more like a paraphrase of it. It's like, you know, like the kind of translation where rather than switching things word for word you do it more by like feel yeah 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 i never like i I was also raised with like a deep distrust of like any version that wasn't the king james bible so like reading a bible that isn't um in like that old like flowery you know king james english just seems wrong you know i understand that (laughs) just like this isn't right (laughs) yeah the the paraphrase um bible is called the message and it's like I think it's more geared for young I mean not necessarily like younger kids not like not like the kids bible or something mm-hmm. which I had as well and mm-hmm. you probably did too so uh, no we you didn't no so we when we would re- we would read out of like the King James Bible as like a kid. as a kid so like I got like nothing you know like <laughs> like I retained like nothing beyond just like the like the these and thous and stuff like that um but they did have like I guess they had like illustrated like stories ah uh, yeah yeah but like there wasn't yeah, there, like, there's no sanctioned Bible beyond just, like, the King James Version, mm-hmm. yeah. Are you still religious? No. Okay. Um, well, I mean, that's a, that's a, I don't know how to answer that. Like, I, I'd like to think that the way that I live my life is, like, um, religious in, in that I, um, I base it ar- around pretty strong principles and values and uh patterns um and in in some ways ritual um but i don't uh, ascribe it to any i don't have any sort of concept of like a a higher power um beyond something that might exist that kind of like exists in all the substance of the universe if that makes any sense um it's almost exactly how i (laughs) right yeah so like the religion like carried over the spirituality not so much yeah yeah that's i I haven't heard that question answered like that before (laughs) but that's a good one and it's very appropriate for my life as well yeah so your your project's called reverent and for me like when i when i heard that i'm like oh that's such a good such a good name because like it, it it has so like so much ties to like the way that i was brought up and I was like taught of how to conduct myself Mm -hmm. um and so reverent to me was always just like being quiet folding my arms um and basically it could be any of those things that like if I was doing something um that you know my parents didn't like or like the 
clergy didn't like or whatever like hey you're not being reverent <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean even though like so that you can kind of ascribe a lot of meaning to that word what did um what did that what does that word mean to you um those are good ways to think about it um the word to me uh, is kind of like a mix of sublimity and um understanding your specific place I guess um and the project began um as a different name it was called Taffophile originally Taffophile? yeah okay. which is kind of like a hot topic sounding name okay. <laughs> um, you know I like I had never really had a project before and so I was like I'm gonna call it this and it was like named after some some girl I had a crush on that like really liked walking in cemeteries and a tombstone tourist or a you know cemetery admirer is called a taffophile. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and and you said that was more of like a pyroelectronics. Yeah, and it like carried over till my first tour, which um, I pl- I played motor on my mm. first tour. Um, wow. And um, when was that? Uh, June twenty. 20- 17. Okay. Oh, dang. Not too long ago. No, I yeah. really didn't tour very much yeah. before. I had, like, a pretty serious job. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that name embarrassed me a little bit <laughs> by, like, the time I was trying to do music seriously. And basically, like, a couple months after that tour, I was like, well, you know, it, first of all, it doesn't really apply to what I'm doing anymore. And... It, it makes me feel guilty like mm-hmm. just hearing hearing that um, and so I was like well I need to make something that's like somewhat religious because like the project is is religious music basically mm. um, and also yeah sublimity and you know also being a human being and like figuring out your place with everything and so rever- actually originally it was reverence um but there's a death metal band called Reverence. Of course. And uh, they actually hit me with like a cease and desist. Damn. Yeah, seriously. Death metal litigious. Oh man, it was wild. It was like they they were like, they saw my name like on a New York Facebook page and they got tagged by accident. And so they were Oof. like, uh, you need to cut this out. And so I like, you know, called a lawyer and uh, I was who helped me out before, and uh, he uh, was like, oh, you can probably just change, like, a little bit. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that works. Is that how that works? It's just, like, whoever had it first? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You yeah. you also don't have to, like, copyright something as long as you can prove that you've used it. Dang, longer. okay, wow. Yeah, so um, that was his advice. He was like, honestly, what I would do is just change the name, and if you don't hear something for long enough, you, you can just claim it. Cool. And I was like, great. Awesome. I mean, dude has a... JD, I do not. Right, <laughs> right. <coughs> so, I guess that's what the name cool. is about. Um, so, you, you're saying that this, the music that you're making is religious music. Um, is that because it's uh, rooted in, like, blues? Or how, well, how, would you, how would you describe it as religious? Well, originally it was, like, based in Gregorian chants. Oh, okay. And doing, like, kind of yelling vocals over that. Um, so, you know, Gregorian is obviously... Yeah religious music mm-hmm. but 
both its religious music because of the substance behind it and also because of the history. Sure. Because a lot of it comes out of like the black spiritual tradition, gospel, blues, um, and and uh, growing up, I don't know if you ever heard this play, but Child of the Promise. Mm-hmm. It was like a Christian musical. And okay. Like Michael W. Smith, who was a big like. I know Michael W. Smith. Yeah. Though. He was he was in it. <laughs> okay. And he 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 probably wrote some of the music. Uh-huh. Um, but like we were going to musicals a lot growing up, and while musicals aren't like a directly religious thing, like the experience with musicals was mm. religious, religiously based at least. Mm-hmm. Was that? Um, do you think because of the content of? Um, the musical or just like the experience of being like in awe of like a ma- magical production I think it was like just figuring out how stories could be told mm. through music and especially you know there is something like really special about seeing a play seeing like something carried across uh, something carried out like over time and space at the same time something that has the possibility of failure on mm-hmm. like television yeah. show or something it's yeah like, you know you only get one time to do it I remember actually once uh, I was in a play of West Side Story in high school and I always think about this um, one girl like missed her cue at some point and it was like at a point where there was like really dialogue happening and the guy who was like lead character um, I think Tony was his, 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 his guy's name it's like the leader of the Jets like the, oh, okay. the white yeah, yeah. thing and I've never seen it oh it's it's great yeah um, but he just like ad-libbed through it and wow. like didn't miss a beat that's and awesome like, whoa yeah that was, and I still think about that <laughs> yeah and I'm like 12 years older 13 years older than I was then and uh that, that was a chance that he had to really screw the whole thing up, mm-hmm. but he didn't. That's awesome. And, yeah, I think, like, being able to, or having to troubleshoot any issues is part of the reason why performance, live performance and theatrical performance are so uh, profound. Mm-hmm. And where did you grow up? Um, I was born in Los Angeles. And then we moved to D.C. when I was two and a half. Then Chicago suburbs at 11. And then I went to college in North Carolina. And then when I finished college, I, um, I lived in Chicago first. But since then, I've lived in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, Miami, uh, rural Minnesota, which is where I was before I just moved back to Chicago oh, okay. a year ago. And now Chicago. Chicago, okay. Um, and so... It sounds like musicals were um, a big influence on you, um, both in, in kind of like profound experiences. Um, but is that also how you kind of got into performing and I think so. singing? I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, that and uh, like my best friend in high school, I, I kind of like I stopped being religious when I was sixteen. Okay, but I like was always into like I've always been into like things that my parents didn't like mm-hmm. and what, what were some of those things well you know like 
horror movies mm-hmm. and hip hop. I was mm-hmm. like super into hip hop. Okay. I basically hip hop was the first style of like popular music that I was into and I didn't like listen to rock until I was seventeen or eighteen. Who are you like really into? Uh Kanye West's first album like was the one that really was the jump off point. So that came out what year? Two thousand three, two thousand four. Okay. And how old were you when that came out? Fourteen. Okay. Thirteen. And uh I was I remember uh like Kanye referenced like a tribe called Quest in a song and then Talib Kweli is on it and like you know a lot of like Native Tongues crew is on it, Commons on it. And so like it didn't take long for me to like really dip into that. And then I mean Nas is my favorite MC ever and I discovered him soon after. Tang Clan. You know, classic 90s most of East Coast yeah and Chicago style hip hop is very similar mm-hmm. at least in the 90s mm-hmm. you know, like stuff like Drill today is like way different mm-hmm. and so what that would be like Twista and... yeah uh, typical Cats back then Common obviously mm-hmm. um, No ID okay right yeah, yeah yeah it was like Kanye's mentor uh huh um, there was a bunch of shit coming out of Chicago um Lupe Fiasco eventually right, too. Right, yeah, yeah. It's really big. Chances yeah, now, but yeah. I've never, I've actually never listened to Chance. Mm-hmm. Though I, I like a lot of his politics. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think he's great. Um, so, so how did your parents react to you um, not being religious? Was that like a... Was, it's still a massive... It's a thing? Massive schism and and was it something that you sort of had to declare or that you had to like make some like very distinct break or was it just sort of fizzling fizzling out at one point I did when I was maybe like 17 I told them and then like you know this is a this is a tough question because like when I can't remember if it was right before I got sober or after I got sober, but I have always felt in, impure, mm. and a lot of that is because of just you know the, if you if you grow up and you're told you're impure, you're gonna feel like you're sure, impure. yeah, yeah. Um, but at some point, I felt like I really needed to be saved. Mm. Probably when I was like. 22 or 23 mm-hmm. and uh, maybe 24 even and I like told my mom that I was becoming a Christian again mm. and um, you know she like broke down crying and stuff and um, yeah and then and then I quickly realized like a few months like after that I was like no I'm actually I'm not a Christian I just was really desperate right yeah I feel like that's when a lot of people sort of turn to religion um, is when they kind of don't have anything else left yeah and so I haven't told her specifically since then that I'm not religious okay so um but I, but I know she knows because I've talked about it in interviews that mm-hmm. I'm not religious. Mm-hmm. But you haven't specifically had that conversation. We, we haven't like confronted yeah. with each other. But I've you know I've told her like 
that if I get married, it will not be a religious wedding. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I'm not going to like tell my kids if I ever have kids mm-hmm. that Christianity is the way to right. go. So I think she gets the point. Yeah, I broke. Uh, I broke the news. <laughs> so this is insane, but I broke the news when I was 28. Oh wow. Yeah, I'm 34 now. So. Um, after like living I mean as like most of my adult life as like a Mormon but a uh, a very closeted doubting like basically like closeted agnostic you know for since I was like 16 oh wow (laughs) yeah so um, I mean that's the kind of the power that um, you know it can have over you that like you would make decisions that you normally wouldn't make yeah. Um, because the consequences of having that conversation, the consequences of like living authentically, um, are like more than like you want to deal with, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so, um, for so for a while, I was kind of like having my cake and eating it too. You know what I mean? Just like I would do what I would need to do uh, in order to like keep up appearances with my folks who were like living, you know, like back in Colorado that like I was uh, kind of like towing the line or whatever, but like living my life, (laughs) you know? Um, And uh, because like Mormons are like, have a very distinct, um, not only like, you know, like theological, like, Bent, but also like a uh, way to like live your life, right? So like no alcohol, like no drugs, no coffee. No um, coffee. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and also like not a whole lot of room for um, kind of like um, outside of like the <laughs> like white supremacist heteronormative, you know, like. Uh, like very like republican leaning you know like um way to view the world mm. um and so th- i mean i think i i kind of i mean i since i was like 16 sort of like put like a distinction between like that and like myself yeah um like growing up like listening you know like i, I was like really exposed to like leftist politics through like like the back of a boy sets fire record <laughs> you know they had all these like links to like at that time it was like anti-wto <laughs> you know stuff wow. and i was just like what is this and then yeah <laughs> um so yeah that 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 had always kind of been a thing but so um, music kind of got you into 100 percent. oh wow yeah 100 percent. um i mean i think i had you know like you have sort of these like natural inclinations and also like growing up religious also um if if you choose to kind of focus on that, kind of gives you a way to see the world through like a kind of a justice, social justice lens. Sure. Um, if if you kind of like focus on like that aspect, and so that had always like appealed to me. Um, but yeah, no, it wasn't until like, um, but I never like found that. You know, like there's no like emphasis of that beyond just like be a good person, just be a moral person. There there's nothing beyond sort of like, you know, like um, like you know, how you interact with the world. Um, there's no sense of, like, yeah, change, you, you change yourself, but, like, there's no sense of, like, no, like, you know, your beliefs have to, like, manifest themselves, like, onto society in, like, in a good way. Like, you know, like, it definitely, like, it's, like, no, your beliefs, have, you know, they have no problem, like, throwing their money behind, like, Proposition 8 or, you know, yeah. like, gay marriage, you know, like, anti-gay marriage stuff, but, like, not, but, like, not, like, 
you know, throwing in with like, you know, social justice movements or, you know, anything like that that actually has like real profound, like long changing, like yeah. change and goodness. So there's so much of that. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but no, like, like I said, like, you know, discovering, um, like leftist political hardcore was like um what like did me in (laughs) yeah yeah totally um like minor threat like so for so long I was uh I wasn't like I was straight edge because like that was way cooler than saying like no I'm Mormon you know what I mean (laughs) and and it also like aligned with like the way that like I you know conducted myself and um you know, a very sort of like already kind of fit into like a very kind of black and white. You yeah. know, like um, are you are you straight edge still? No, oh, okay. no, yeah. I mean, and, and that wasn't really a part of uh, my identity since like I was eighteen. Yeah, you know, um, but it was just a way to like, um, like, not get picked on. <laughs> you know, because like I didn't drink. You know, it was just like, oh, Ryan can because I'm more like, no, fuck you, I'm straight edge. You yeah. know, yeah, it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I was not I was like in some ways I was rebellious in mm-hmm. high school like I had sex in high school mm-hmm. but I didn't uh, drink or smoke mm-hmm. I mean one time I did um, when I was in Mexico I was like doing not a mission trip but like uh, you know it was like a teaching thing right uh, it was called Amigos de las Americas and like they have like kids go over Latin America and like Cool. And I'm not exactly sure how much you know how it is. Like, I, I, I'm well aware of the mission trip. Yeah, yeah. It's like I don't, I don't know. Like I mean, I taught kids how to like do some like cleaning. Or yeah. Something. No, I my wife and I did the Peace Corps for two years, and um, we would often like our community. Um, they had sort of like a uh, exchange program or whatever. A church did with like these sort of like religious based mission trips and so like you know once or twice a year we'd have like these mission trips you know like you yeah. know kids come in and um <laughs> it was yeah it was always just like really interesting interactions with you know with with them because like they're in the process of just getting their world rocked yeah you know like for sure yeah it's like they're seeing you know like poverty like real and like and also coming to the grips that, like, they can't do it. They're not doing anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, like... Um, and so, yeah, I always, like... That was always, like... Those are really interesting conversations, you know? Yeah. Um, you definitely get your world rocked. <laughs> I, was, I was in this little village in Guanajuato for six weeks. And um, we were, you know, teaching... We actually were teaching some English to, like, older kids, which maybe was a little helpful, I'd like to think. But more importantly, I was learning how the world works and yeah like, i had to like slaughter animals for food yeah and i like had to it's profound you know yeah you, you do real shit yeah and like you know i came from like i i never went to bed hungry i mm-hmm. never the prospect of not eating was like not a thing yeah yeah totally i mean it was <laughs> like i was super comfortable all my mm-hmm. life and then i was thrown in this thing and then and I, actually, I was pretty comfortable the whole time, but, like, I, I, I you saw that these problems weren't going to get fixed, like, yeah. anytime soon, yeah. and it definitely, like, makes you resent people who don't 
see reality. Yeah, well, and I think that's the problem, right, is that, like, you know, religion really teaches, um, with some, like, really major exceptions, but, like, teaches, like, ways to, like, you know, improve your life and improve, you know, your situation, but really doesn't have the answers for, well, why is the world fucked up? (laughs) You know, why why do I get to, like, sleep in a nice bed and have um, a motorized vacuum, or, like, a robot vacuum, you know? (laughs) it, it it doesn't it doesn't provide the answers because the answers that they do provide um, are like really scary totally. and um, yeah places that I don't, I don't think they really want to dwell on too much that like well maybe it's God's fault you know like yeah so um, yeah no so um, so yeah so it sounds like um, the trajectory like out of religion um, in 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 high school. Did that also kind of coincide with, like, new musical worlds opening up to you? Like, would you have, like, listened to, like, hip-hop, you know, like, as, like, a religious, you know, person? Or was that forbidden, or...? I was forbidden to listen to pretty much everything. I listened to... I had a couple U2 albums okay. in, like, middle school. They're good Irish Catholics. I, I love U2, still. <laughs> yeah. Like, the first... Everything through Joshua Tree's... Like, <laughs> Joshua Tree's amazing. a good record. Yeah, Joshua yeah. Tree rules. Yeah. Their first record's awesome. Yeah, boy... Wait, no, not boy. Yeah, boy. Yeah, boy, yeah, yeah. And then The Unforgettable Fire? Uh, that, is that is after Joshua Okay, okay, gotcha. Maybe it's... No, maybe it's not. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not. Yeah, I mean, they were like a, like a post-punk band, you know? Yeah, they yeah. were like Irish Joy Division. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not really. But yeah. Like... <laughs> They they definitely had some influence from yeah television. for sure. I, I was uh, like I love their bass lines like those especially in, like those early stuff like, they're just so like like punchy and just like on the grid you know yeah yeah um, cool so uh, so after like after high school um, when did you when did you actually get into like creating music um. I started, so I picked up guitar when I was 17. My parents gave me an acoustic guitar for Christmas, and I had gotten into Nirvana that year. But actually, you know, it's funny. uh, This is not a very cool answer, but (laughs) it is a true answer. Um, My uncle Jimmy um, had a copy of the Rolling Stones, 500 greatest albums oh yeah 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 and I got like a $50 Amazon gift card for Christmas and I just started buying a fuck ton of CDs and I just started working down all of them I am a like total list person yeah uh, I mean I, so like <coughs> you're 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 you know rattling off all these like native tongues like the reason why I know this stuff is because like I I'm going through like the 100 best hip-hop albums of the 90s yeah. like, right now like I just got finished listening to like Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style like oh, yeah, on the way classic. here yeah <laughs> so yeah no I'm a total like total list person it's yeah. amazing yeah I, I love lists yeah I was into them from a young age um do you think that's from like the religious suffering like just like the feeling of like completion of just like checking stuff off well now that you mentioned it probably <laughs> it's especially like, like a- the liturgical, you know, like, you know, like, yeah. at, like, it's like, okay, I did this, now I, I can do this, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, maybe, <laughs> yeah, for sure, I tried to uh, work through the ESP disc catalog recently, Ooh. yeah, I got through, like, six of them, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna, like, listen to Smashing Pumpkins, or right, right, um, yeah, and, um, 
so I was jamming through those and then like I when I was in when I was like 18 I like discovered Pitchfork mm -hmm. and I started like you know I like just really trusted Pitchfork yeah. for a couple years yeah. probably like two years I was like really in tune with what they were doing daily daily reader yeah me yeah, too thousand, like 2007 2008 yeah that's almost exactly yeah. the time I was <laughs> yeah it was great yeah it was great because I mean it was just reviews it was just reviews you know yeah and it was like you know you could tell it was like the it was like one person like every time mm -hmm. yeah you, you also got like the really scathing reviews oh yeah which is awesome I love scathing oh my god reviews. yeah and she, most of like nine times out of ten I go and listen to that record yeah for sure because I just like like, like what like, gotta hear this shit. yeah <laughs> like yeah that, totally um, <laughs> but they were like you know, they also gave like the replacements ten out of ten scores. Right, right, right. And they, like, yeah, no, totally. So I, I went to this record store in in Durham. I went to Duke, mm -hmm. and uh, there was a record store there called Bull City Records. Mm -hmm. And uh, Chaz Martinstein, who runs the place, like he just like dipped me so hard into like all the stuff I was interested in, and. You know, he like sold me my first Pixie CD, mm -hmm. my first Velvet Underground CD. Mm -hmm. Like once I was into like Bowie and Velvet Underground, he like was like, "Hey, maybe you'll try. You'll like this Brian Eno record, mm -hmm. like music for airports." Mm -hmm. Wow! And when I heard that, I was like, "Whoa!" Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like what? <laughs> and then I like he got me into Garage, and when I I got into Garage like right around when Jay Riotard died. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, it was a big thing. Yeah. You know, Matador had signed Jay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ty Siegel had just like released a couple records on In the Red, I think. Uh -huh. um, or maybe, no, Goner. Yeah, yeah. He did Lemons on Goner. And then, um, and, and Ty would like, you know, he's still playing all the time. Yeah, yeah. And machine. I was in, I got in, like No Bunny and mm -hmm. like all the stuff on In the Red, Demon's Claws. Um, I never really liked Black Lips as much as the rest of them, but I love like Dibula Six 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 and Fresh and Onlys and stuff. And then I got into like punk and hardcore. I remember buying my first Nation of Ulysses LP. Oh my god! And Minor Threat first two seven inches uh, at All Day Records, which is in Carborough, North Carolina, um, and is is the distribution point for Lies Records now. Mm -hmm. It's funny that I like got my hardcore records there mm -hmm. because they like are like kind of a techno yeah, yeah, center. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I got I guess more more into I got more into like industrial and like criminal stuff after that. But I was just thinking the other day, like maybe yesterday or the day before, like I bought two records at the same time at this store in uh, Chapel Hill that was called um, CD Alley mm -hmm. and one of them was uh, Mayhem's Death Crush Whoa. and one of them was Suicide's first record Whoa. and like I thought Death Crush was a you know, great record but Suicide scared the shit out of me and like you know the part like in Frankie Teardrop yeah we're just like yeah yeah, yeah. I, like, I was like oh my god yeah it's like my favorite one of my favorite things to do is like put that on a jukebox in a bar yeah <laughs> just like nine minutes just, like, yeah it's like the most tense yeah. song you'll ever hear yeah. and like I wish I could say like that immediately put me down the like industrial spiral mm -hmm. but it didn't it took a while well the, the but I did always love like I discovered Nine Inch Nails when I was 
18, 19, and that's still, like, my favorite band, like, them and Nirvana. So, I, like, this year, no, I'm sorry, last year was the first year I've ever listened to Marilyn Manson. Oh, he's amazing. And I love it. Yeah. I was just like, what? Like, how, how have I, like, been missing that? And, and then I got way deep into it. Like, I, like, read his autobiography. Oh, wow. And just, Long like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got super into him just, like, as a persona. But, but I realized, like, man, this is, like, really good. This is just kind of, like, a kind of just, like, kind of coalescing all the... Like, a lot of bands do that, right? It's, they kind of come out of the underground and they kind of, like, coalesce, like, all of this, you know, stuff that's been happening and kind of put it forth as, like, a really kind of palatable thing. But you're, like... You know, like, Nirvana did the same thing. For sure. Like, oh, okay, well, that's, you know, like, influence of, like, the Melvins and Green River and, you know, all this, like, weirdo sub-pop stuff that's happening. Um, And same thing with, like, you know, Marilyn Manson and Nine Inch Nails. For sure. All of this, like, you know, underground, like, industrial and, you know, uh, EBM and stuff like that. That's, like... They're like White Stripes. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. um, But, no, yeah, also growing up religious and, and growing up in Littleton, Colorado, um, like really kind of like turned me off. That's the name of the town, Littleton. Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where Columbine was, and like, and so oh, wow. Marilyn Manson has like a very like. Oh yeah, right. So of w- w- so when that happened, uh, I mean Marilyn, they canceled Marilyn Manson's um, concert in Denver, and so that's like always like burned into my mind of like, oh well, Marilyn Manson like inspired these kids to do it yeah. when it's like not the case at all like yeah, they, they for sure. yeah they didn't listen to Marilyn Manson you know like they probably thought he was like a sellout <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of sad now yeah but <laughs> yeah. everything until uh actually really the golden age of grotesque I, I haven't listened to uh I thought I thought Hollywood was really good it's amazing that's that a, song yeah it's like do you like God yeah. dance fuck yeah I'm just like man like that got like I'm like 34 and like like my you know I got like goosebumps you know like listening to that like that's I mean cool. he used to stay, he used to have a message too yeah yeah like, totally he he was smart he wrote insane hooks yeah insane oh, like that and then like that's the thing that like you know kept on bringing it back I'm just like yeah like there's like all this like you know like cool like programming and like cool like guitar tone and you know stuff like yeah. that but it's like the hooks like the hooks are just like boom like he knows how to do it yeah yeah he, goes, he took like the soft loud i mean he, there's always like this tension in the verse but like just like you knew you were getting like an anthemic yeah edgy, totally edgy yeah uh, chorus like, yeah every song yeah even like even the acoustic songs like coma uh, white that's a great song oh, that's a yeah oh, that song like makes me tear up yeah that and like last day on earth have you mm-hmm. heard the acoustic version of that uh, it's on a live album. I don't think so. But, like, the the turning point for me was when I listened to Mechanical Animals. Yeah, and I'm like, one. this is Ziggy Stardust. Like, yeah. that's that's what this is. This is, like, a, like this is a updated version of Ziggy Stardust. And then, it, like, it all clicked for me. And I'm yeah. like, oh, my God. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> it's a super referential yeah. project. Yeah. Like, and he, he, he is working on that level, and he realizes it. And, you know, he's, like, a total head. But yeah. Like, yeah. As soon as he became like this caricature, that's when it really, and he started to be Marilyn Manson. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like I don't think he's like a good person. Y- yeah. Y- you know what I mean? Like I don't think he's just like this like, you know like, you know sort of mischievous genius. Like I think there is like that like he's channeling something like pretty dark. You know. Um, and I and I got that from like reading like his autobiography where you know he admitted to just like you know, doing some pretty, like, like, 
sadistic, you know, behavior, like, towards his fans and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and just, yeah, just, like, not having, like, a, um, just a very, like, I don't know, not optimistic, but just, like, a very, like, positive view of, like, people in general. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, like, it's fine. Like, I'm, like, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not a nihilist, but, like, you know, like, I understand, um, that and like that influences some of my you know favorite music i'm not necessarily like in that um subscribe to that but it's um but like for him i always thought that there would be like it was more of a put on you yeah. know than than it actually is and yeah. when i kind of understood that it wasn't i was a little disappointed but it also makes sense yeah yeah for sure <laughs> So, um, so the power electronics kind of, I, I want to check the time here cause you, oh. I know you've got a show. <laughs> um, so the, the, so you started performing like, I, oh, um, I started writing, I was, yeah, I, I, so when I got into college, I like, uh, started drinking basically mm -hmm. and that like quickly became a very important part of my life. Um, and you know, drinking eventually becomes drugs, mm -hmm. and I, uh, when I was, like, 21, I did coke for the first time, and I really liked it. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and It's a likable thing. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, that would eventually become something of a habit, mm -hmm. but, um, basically, when I graduated, I, like, I was dating someone who at one point I had done coke and she, she made me promise that I uh, wouldn't do it again and when I did she broke up with me mm. and like I knew it was coming and I was also like anyway I had like come back from this like beach trip and all her stuff was in my apartment and she like had her friends like go and like take it all out and like not say anything to me which I totally understand. We're actually, we're friends now. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, anyway, I, like, stayed in that bed, and I didn't eat for, like, three days. And then I, like, kind of, like, came to, and I just wrote these, like, two extremely self-destructive songs, mm. like, on my guitar and singing. They're pr still pretty good. Um, and I was like, oh, I'm, like, I'm not, I'm not so bad at this. Um, even though it was coming from this like really awful place and so within those like within like a couple years I, I got sober like probably a year and a half after that like I didn't even drink for that long yeah. it was like five years but yeah, it was yeah. like pretty. I, I knew that it wasn't mm -hmm. for me quickly yeah. it like you know it made me feel really negative yeah and it made me act like someone I didn't want to be yeah I mean coming into all that stuff like pretty late in the game yeah. Um, I think it was good for me. Um, yeah. Uh, because, uh, you know, I, when I did, I mean, I, you know, I'd, like, been married for a couple of years, um, already kind of, like, had my boundaries, you know, pretty well in place, and, um, um, but, like, I also came into it with, like, per, like, from, like, an experimental, like, yeah. mind from, like, okay, well, like, I don't like how this makes me feel in the morning, like, I, um, where I think if I, uh, would have, like, you know, grown up with it, or, you know, like, been a part of my life earlier on, I, you know, I, I could see myself, like, like, you know, overriding that part of your brain that's just, like, ooh, like, consequences of this aren't great. Yeah. 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 But, um, so how long have you been sober for? 
uh, five years okay. as of last week. Cool. Congrats. Thanks. Yeah, it's but it's pretty weird. Like, there's like this dividing line in my existence mm-hmm. where like I don't really think of myself as the person before that that frequently. Mm. Like, it just feels like there was a, there's a very big divide in the two people. But it sounds like that spurred um, at least some sort of creativity maybe yeah. through through coping. You yeah, know. definitely. I, like, I would not call myself an alcoholic um, by any means. I do have an, a very addictive personality. Sure. The thing about addiction that a lot of people addiction is handled person by person yeah and there are a lot of you know there's like Alcoholics Anonymous and they have kind of like a one size fits all right doctrine for things yep. and I did start in a 12 step program and I did it for a little bit and uh, you know it wasn't for me at some point I realized like I didn't it, I didn't really vibe with it that hard um, what works for me is um I don't know I just read a lot and I at the time was just listening to records and I had a bunch of friends before but the only thing that really linked us together was our desire to go out and drink a right. so I was like man what the fuck like I, I like I don't have fun doing this like so what are the things that I like to do and it was like well I like reading and I like music and that's basically it mm-hmm. and so I just was like well I'm gonna just like go to all these shows and I'm gonna like meet people and mm-hmm. I'm so I would go to like one or two shows like every single night mm. and I would get like four hours of sleep every night yeah. but I mean like I was still feeling better than when I was sure. drinking yeah 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 I mean and I would drink and I'd get ten hours of sleep but i still feel like shit yeah yeah. yeah but so if I was sober and like drinking and, and drinking nothing and getting four hours of sleep I still I was like man this is still a step up mm-hmm. and like I'm meeting all these people yeah and I had ran this blog which I started like maybe last few months of college called delayed gratification and I had what year year was that? 2000 it was in 2012 when I started it and I did it for like three and a half years I interviewed like 170 artists for it oh nice and so uh, when I got sober I still had this thing and I just like attacked it with a vengeance and Mm -hmm. I was like I'm gonna interview everyone and I just started like meeting people and like reaching out and like, going to shows and you know how it is mm-hmm. like just networking and networking yeah yeah and uh, trying to figure out you know the reality is like I was interviewing these people because I was trying to be their friend mm. and I I wanted to be involved in mm-hmm. in the lives of people who made music how do you how do you feel about that like impulse or how do you feel about that um, like that motivation. Well, I think uh, wanting to be around people who are creative is uh, was good for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm very positive about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, I was very scared about how I would be received, mm. but. I realized that a lot of creative people like to talk about being creative. Sure. And so it was something that linked us together. And I wasn't really, you know, I was like playing, I started playing this bar in Chicago called Lizard's Liquid Lounge. Okay. Which was the city's first lesbian bar, but it is now just a regular bar. Mm-hmm. 
I started playing there once a month when I was still drinking. I was like 22. Mm-hmm. And I basically played there like every month until uh, for a couple of years. Um, and I was playing these folk songs. It was just my acoustic guitar and singing. And I eventually got into like more psychedelic stuff. And then when I moved to Miami, I, uh, I did the same thing. I just like went to a, a ton of shows. It was interviewing a lot of people. I my my friend Robert had asked me if I wanted to join his label Moniker Records. Then. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, is that is that a, that's out of Chicago? Yeah. Yeah, we ran okay. it together. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you, so you're so you're like, co- like are you running? I was, Mon- okay. But I split from Moniker last May. Okay. Um, we had decided. I had decided. Um that it wasn't going to be feasible for me to continue to run that label if I were trying to be self-employed. Sure. And, um, yeah, so we, like, I set a date, and we released, and I, I had brought a few records to the label, and I was like, okay, this is the last one I'm going to do, and mm-hmm. then, um, then it's going to be just you. And, you know, it was... Um, it was good for me to to do that. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge uh, thing to do. As I've gotten older, I found saying no yeah. um, is like a really empowering thing. Yeah, it was it was a uh, it was a tough it was a tough call, and it was sensitive. Mm-hmm. But I think we're both doing better. Yeah, and. Um, but anyway, so uh, when I moved down to Miami, which was in, like, I guess November or December 2014, um, I was, like, kind of living between Chicago and Miami for a little mm-hmm. bit because of a job that I had. And then in January of that year, Robert asked me, or maybe it was, yeah, January, he asked me if I wanted to be, like, label partner. We didn't finalize everything until March or April of that year. And I was living in Miami, so mm-hmm. I, like, now I had this other thing that could like link me to creative people yeah it was yeah. like going into stores and like being like hey like here are some records that I, I love yeah I love that grind yeah it's, <laughs> it's it's fun yeah yeah it's it can be really debilitating too, yeah but it's I, predominantly fun I, I yeah I, I even get like enjoyment out of like cold calling you know like record stores you know um and just like talking up the <laughs> yeah yeah it's great I love the it. clerk and uh, so I just was doing that, and then like you know, so I was like trying to write about people. I within that within um, probably like it was within 2015 or 2016 that I started writing for Ad Hoc. Oh, cool! Um, yeah. And do you know Bobby Power? Oh yeah. Of yes. Yeah. Cool. Um, and I started writing for Decoder mm-hmm. too. Okay, so you know Liz yeah. and Dwight. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, um, Circles are closing. Yeah. So, like, during that time, like, someone asked me uh, if I would uh, try, like, an experimental set in Miami. And I had... uh, I'd always been into industrial music and, like, some friends of mine. I, like, had toured with... uh, as a roadie for a band on, like, the East Coast. and I was introduced to a lot of like industrial circles there, and um, 
so I kind of like got into it that way but I never like really made industrial music or experimental stuff until so when this guy Kenichi asked me to play this set I was like yeah I think I can do that and so I just like did the thing with the Dunlop wah pedal on the streaming vocals mm-hmm. and I was using like a Shure SM57 which is not the right microphone okay. for, yeah isn't it like a pretty like, basic it's like a more for like drumming okay you would like put it in front of like a kick oh, okay. or something it's like more for instruments um, but I was using it for my voice and it wasn't really working that well but I you know Miami there was like a very low barrier to entry because there were a lot of shows happening mm-hmm. all the time you know INC is in Miami Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I was gonna say that's a kind of like a noise, right. like power electronics hub. Yeah, it's uh, and so I like played there within like a month mm-hmm. of this project, and I, I played like Miami, like the Churchills in Miami, I played like thirty times that year or something, and uh, I just like really cut my teeth, and uh, you know quickly became like me looping my voice again and again, and like you know making these songs and singing over top of it, and. Um, then I moved to Minnesota and I would play gigs there and uh, then I went on the first tour with, with Robert um, who was doing Monica with me and we actually had, we did like two tours at the same time and it was like we had released this book in partnership with Featherproof Press which is Tim Kinsella's publishing oh, cool. company and wow. it was a memoir by this guy JT4 and um, Robert was he's he's a really good curator mm-hmm. of like long lost ephemera and mm-hmm. like bringing it back into like the public sphere. He did that. He found the Death Seven Inch that. Whoa! That was Robert who brought it to Drag City. Really? Yeah. That it, album is. I mean, well, I'm like that LP is just like. Whew. Yeah, Robert actually donated that Seven Inch to the Smithsonian Museum of African American History. So we really? were at the grand opening. Wow! He, it was amazing. Damn! They have the Parliament Funkadelic Mothership in there. Yeah, we like took a picture outside. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, so Robert has this like you know knack for finding that kind of thing, and um, so JT four was one of his. He found JT four, and he found this manuscript, which was the guy's memoir, basically. And you know, it's like pretty. It's a lot of tall tale. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is kind of the charm. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, so we were doing these readings during the day at bookstores and stuff, and then I was playing at night. So I was, like, doing, like, double duty. Mm. And I was like, man, this shit is fun. Like, yeah. I love touring. And so since then, especially when I decided to quit my job um, and try freelancing my life, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to tour a lot, and I'm going to play a lot of music, and I'm going to meet people, and I'm going to... And, and how did you get connected with Ono? Well, Moniker had put out the first yeah, two Ono records. That's, I know you guys put out that Spooks record. Yeah, we yeah, put out two before great that. Great one, yeah. But I was not involved with Moniker until Spooks came out. Okay. And uh, I played guitar for like three shows in New York with Ono. When I was living in Miami, I just like blew up and like played guitar mm-hmm. in it. Oh, cool. And um, me, Travis, and Pete Michael were all like massive Samuel Delaney fans okay um, we like all of us have so many copies of Dolver and it's ridiculous <laughs> and um, so we like I mean, we all connect me Travis and P like really connected through books mm. predominantly and religion actually because mm-hmm. 
Travis comes from a Protestant background. P. Michael's family was Catholic. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, I'm kind of like both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we always are like talking about that. And, uh, and now, and when I joined, I, I joined Ono as a full-time member when I quit my job to okay. in Chicago. Yeah. And now I do a lot of like the managerial stuff too. Oh, okay. Like I kind of facilitate a lot. Sure. Um, so... Me and P. Michael are always bouncing ideas back and forth uh-huh. with each other. I mean, we'll, me and him will like come up with stuff and then we'll like bring it to the group. And like, I'll be like, yo, I think we should like do this tape. Or like, yo, I think like, I think we can, like, I, I got Ono to play Moog Fest the first year. Oh, sick. Because I was interviewing the creative director for Moog Fest for the site Clairvoyant, mm-hmm. um, which. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. Fred Pizarro used to run it. Yeah. I, are they not around anymore? Yeah, they don't exist anymore. Really? Yeah. They, they stopped a while. Man, I, I don't remember exactly. They did, a, they did a thing on the Midwife record, but um, but yeah, no, I guess they're, yeah. And yeah. It, and somebody's telling me, like, Impose is, like, now, like, a metal, <laughs> you know, site or something like that. I don't, I don't think, it, I don't think, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, there, so. yeah. It's a whole era that, like, you know, of ad hoc doesn't right they only do like shows and stuff like that yeah yeah it's pretty crazy um but so I was interviewing um this woman who was a creative director for Moog Fest and I was like I was like talking about committing more mother and Mm. uh I was like yeah like this band that I like have put out their records of like plays with more mother all the time they're like they have a lot of like you know, Afro-futurist yeah, themes yeah. to them. She was like, oh, what's that band? And I, like, started, like, telling her about it, and she was like, oh, that's really interesting. And I was like, yeah, send me your address. I'll give you the records. And I, like, wrote out, like, by hand, like, <laughs> a six-page biography wow. of the band. Wow. Like, I mean, it was, like, insane. And I sent it to her, and she was like, yeah, we want Ono to play Moogfest, and we want you to moderate this panel Whoa. about Afrofuturism with... Ono, King Brit, and More Mother. That's awesome. Like, Hell yeah. And More Mother also uh, played Dismal Niche. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. This year? No, um, year before. Okay. Yeah. The Morning of Blackstar played this yeah. year. <laughs> yeah. They're the best band on the planet. So good. Yeah. I, got a, I saw them um, in Columbia and then the next day in Cincinnati. Oh, Yeah, it was nice. awesome. <laughs> Such a treat. Yeah. I love Morning of Blackstar. Yeah. I, Teresa actually was just, she's the uh, trumpet player. Mm-hmm. She was just at my show last night. She was like randomly in Chicago, but I'm playing with Morning Black Star on this tour oh, in cool. Cleveland, and like Rafiq really hooked it up. Like he and I are like kindred spirits, mm-hmm. so we're always talking about books and stuff, and like you know, music and everything. I I just love shooting the shit with that yeah. guy. But I was like, yo, like I want to play Cleveland. Like, could you help me out? And he's like, yeah, man. Like. I, you know he has a bookstore there and he's mm. like, you can play my bookstore cool I like, yeah I can play your bookstore <laughs> let's do it and uh, he was like yeah morning and I was like any chance morning of black star would play and he was like yeah it will play it'll awesome play. awesome that was sweet well I love I love that I love um, making connections um, with people uh, and just realizing that like this world is um really small like you kind of like think it's like you know 
so huge, but like really like I mean, if we're kind of all swimming in the same water, we're like two degrees separated <laughs> from like you know each other. Um, and uh, and I I find that like really inspiring that like people's music and art that is so inspiring to me um, are like yeah like a Facebook message or a friend of a friend like away from like being able to sit down having like you know a conversation and finding out like what uh, is sort of the driving force yeah. you know behind all that stuff for sure yeah yeah it's like it's really insane mm-hmm. it's really insane yeah. well I think we should probably cut this off because I'm probably gonna a show to play Inside of you and I